0: TKO's episode three coming at you on this beautiful Thursday morning in the valley. And we have one hell of a show recapping UFC, PFL, Bellator, previewing the UFC Jacksonville card happening early on Saturday, especially for those of us on the West Coast. And um, we're going to jump right in. But before we do, we're going to talk the one and only sponsor here at Bows and TKO's and that is Fueled Supplements. So summer is here, solstice was last night, that means less clothing and bathing suit days on the water. Summertime will be here before you know it, so get your summertime shine with fueled supplements, advanced thermogenic and feel good formula, Showtime. Now Showtime contains the only two clinically tested and patented ingredients scientifically proven to enhance thermogenesis. So besides fat burning, Showtime also increases energy, boosts mood, provides a sense of euphoria, suppresses appetite, enhances mental clarity, focus, and concentration. So for optimal results, stack with counterattack. Get yours exclusively at fieldsupplements.com. Again, you're getting ready to to really dial in uh, the figure, trying to get some supplements, support small business. Go to fieldsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. That's B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now it's Thursday, did one early last week, right before I went to Dallas. Got to go to Dallas to watch my Angels play the Rangers. They ended up winning the uh, series 3-1, to one, which is important because now they are in a wild card spot. They are second in their division behind the leading uh, Rangers, and uh, they went 1-1 one one the days I was there. They got a win when Shohei Otani was on the mound, hit a home run really awesome experience brand new ballpark amazing ballpark uh my my colleague had um company seats and for the premium seats down first base third base and behind home plate they have it lowered like some basketball courts where we're sitting and at our like bar top seats and the fields right here so you get eye level to the field it's a really cool experience Um, Really open stadium. They don't have the concrete and the plastic where the 300 levels are. It's all open, so you get up through home plate, walk over. Uh, Really good food. Texas Live, that entertainment joint they have outside that for Cowboys and Rangers games. Just an awesome experience, man. I will say living in the desert, how dry it is. The humidity was like a hit in the face in summertime. Uh, But I've always enjoyed Dallas. Had a good time. Got some good foods. Some good experiences. Got a Halos win. Can't ask for much more than that, and I'm getting ready to gear up to get to Seattle here soon for my 31st birthday for All-Star Baseball Weekend, catch my first All-Star game in Home Run Derby. Fingers crossed, Shohei Otani is performing in that, but regardless, I know we're not tuning in for the baseball talk of what I did this weekend. We're tuning in for that MMA action, and we have a lot of amazing fights that have been, been booked this past week especially for UFC 292 that's happening in August in Boston. They're really developing that card. We have Andrea Lee versus Natalia Silva, UFC 292. That's a high-quality matchup, a step-up in competition for Natalia. We have Jeff Neal, Ian Gary, UFC 292. The future really gets to show off against another step-up in opponents. Uh, A quick turnaround. We got... Marlon Chito Vera taking on Henry Triple C Cejudo for UFC 292. Uh, the winner of that wanting to probably uh, take place for a potential interim title as Aljamain Sterling has confirmed he is moving up to 145 pounds, the featherweight division, after the fight with Sugar Sean O'Malley. Um, we also have... What was one more booked on 292? Oh, Rob Font versus Song Yadong. Banger. Bantamweight division is showing out for UFC 292. That is a big, big-time fight. Um, we have Shavkat, Rukmanov, uh and Bilal, Bilal Muhammad targeted for October. Not official, but Marlon Vera and Henry Cejudo was targeted just a couple days ago. There is some concern about injury. There's been concern about injury with the Algemain fight as well. Uh you know, UFC tends to announce these fights before they're written in official, kind of force the, the fighters' hands. So we'll see what happens with that. But hopefully these fights show down. Another awesome bantamweight fight. Corey Sandhagen coming to social media and saying, Why did I take this fight? Because I'm a motherfucking badass. He's a company man. Corey Sandhagen is fighting Umar Nurmagomedov August 5th in a huge bantamweight showdown. And Max Holloway getting the fight he asked for, calling his shot. Shooter, shoot. He's getting a legacy fight against the Korean zombie, August 26th in Singapore. So Nashville has been confirmed for the fight night. We also have the fight in Singapore confirmed eight twenty six. And also a major uh, heavyweight fight. Cyril gone in his home city in Perry, taking on Sergey Spivak September 2nd. Short notice fill-in fight that we'll be breaking down for this weekend. Cody Brundage is taking on Cedricus Dumas. August 5th, we also have Sean Woodson versus Steve Garcia Jr. And the man that I've been wanting to see for quite some time, Guram Kutateladze, taking on Elves Brenner July 1st. Uh, a fight that we talked about that I posted on Boz and TKO's Instagram, at Bo's and TKO's. We do matchmaker Monday of hypothetical matchups after the following card uh, that happened that Saturday. I said, you want to put a, a stylistic fucking, um, what, what would I say? Superstar showdown. Give us Kai Kara France. Give us Manel Kopp. That has been verbally agreed on for the Sydney card. That's going to be awesome. And Virna Jan, uh, Jandarova's out. So Jessica Andrade is stepping in and taking on Tatiana Suarez at UFC Nashville. Chris Curtis, the savage that he is, two uh, headbutt issues, fought, I don't know, this will be his third time in just like probably six months, is taking on a very good Anthony Hernandez, September 16th, so he wants to get that win back, try to keep fighting for his UFC career. And then we have Yana Santos versus Carol Carl Rosa, July 1st. I think there was one more that I missed. And um, for BKFC we're getting Fabrizio Verdum versus Junior Dos Santos. September 2nd. So BKFC bringing the old guys back. Getting ready for a scrap. And then lastly, Connor misses. Connor McGregor misses the USADA test and will not be fighting this year. And I haven't been the biggest fight fan of Conor because the way the UFC has treated him, given him easy fights. You know, his best fights were against Nate Diaz, who wasn't even a top 10 opponent. He was getting directed to uh, title fights. I liked this fight for him. He could earn his way back to a title shot. Clearly the reason that he's not in USADA is because he's taking stuff that he's not supposed to be doing. Obviously he was on TMZ with this incident with this woman. Uh, Clearly he still likes to party a little bit. Um, there's just a lot of things going on. Daniel Cormier yesterday, I think said it best that the fame has gotten to him. He's been at such a high level of fame to sit down, get clean, focus on fighting a training camp and be determined with your, your, your schedule and your, your day to day, um, habits. It's tricky when you have that kind of fame, fortune and money and you've accomplished so much. Um, I, I would be shocked. I mean, absolutely shocked if we saw Conor McGregor, maybe Q4 of 2024 because um, I don't think that he's going to be cleaned up to be able to get an USADA, um, you know, take that as you will. I'm not here to make a bunch of drama on headlines and clickbait articles. I just understand where he's at right now. I see it. You've seen it. Ultimate Fighter, you see even more of it. He is not going to be fighting anytime soon because he's not going to be willing to get clean for the USADA pool, which is very, very serious. You don't want a suspension there. So that's my two thoughts on this dramatic situation I know a lot of fight fans want to see him back. I'm like, meh, whatever. The documentary was all right. It was just more press to keep him, you know, relevant. I'm going to be super pissed if he does get a fight, Charles Oliveira, which is rumored right now, or gets to jump right into a title fight. That would be the UFC way with this guy. Uh, But speaking of Ultimate Fighter, we had the Ultimate Fighter this week. I was going to film this Tuesday night, ended up not. Um, So I was able to recap the Ultimate Fighter And honestly, the major things to recap is the veterans whooping that ass once again, uh, making it look easy, to be honest with you. Uh, This week was the uh, dramatic catchweight bout uh, that was argued back and forth. Connor never showed up for the um, catchweight decisions. You know, he he basically never shows up to anything unless it's the fight. Uh, Maybe some training here and and there. He did have Steven Wonderboy Thompson come in and try to help his young prospects out, uh, which was cool to see. Love Steven, you know he, he he's awesome, and clearly Connor thinks highly of him. But other than that, anything that's like you should come and talk about this, or you know, check on this, help your fighters cut weight, he ain't there. He's got he's got bigger things going on, um, you know, quote unquote. But uh, we had Timur Valiev, um, is it Timur Valiev? I don't want to get his name wrong. I hate when I do this. Yep. Uh, He's a guy that I honestly was shocked got cut by the UFC in the first place. Um, Coming in from the PFL, he was a World Series of Fighting, went into the PFL, um, beat Martin Day, beat Rayoni Barcelos, fight of the night, lost to an undefeated Jack Shore and got cut. So that was kind of a weird situation, although the bantamweight division is very, very deep. Again, I was shocked that he got cut from the UFC. Um, His opponent had a cold sore, which is pretty wild to think that that would stop the fight. Um, they were kind of scrambling to figure out what to do. They kept the fight together, had it happen the next week, and you know, Timur already cut weight. So as you know, cutting weight's just a brutal beast in itself. Uh, so they wanted to try to catch a catch weight. Connor's team wanted him to cut more because he's the bigger fighter. Just a bunch of drama there, but really, the the uh, vets keep kicking ass. Connor's a no show for most of the stuff. Classic Ultimate Fighter. And he is 0-4 with the prospects. You know things are going to get heated. And finally, we're probably about to see the moment where uh, he shoves uh, your boy, Michael Chandler. And you know Michael Chandler's worked so hard for this fight, willing to do the ultimate fighter. He's a company man, does what he needs to do. And he is probably 90% most likely not going to be able to fight Conor, which he's worked so hard for. Uh, super big bummer for him. Now we have Eddie Alvarez uh, talking about the trilogy fight which I don't really see how that's going to happen as Eddie's been in BKFC and other promotions, won championship. I don't know if Michael wants to do that. He's still a top-tier lightweight. There's better bouts out there for him, but it's got to be brutal for him, the work he's put in. He even posted on Instagram yesterday, USADA came to his door the day that Connor uh, had missed his test, so how ironic is that? But you got to feel for the guy a little bit. Uh, But besides that, really the story around this week in MMA, not just UFC, is it was a, a pretty light UFC fight night card when it comes to big names. The main event had big names, but for most UFC or MMA fans, I probably don't know a lot of these fighters. It was very Dana White Contender Series heavy. A lot of those alums that have recently won, um, which I like. Uh, I talked about this. The Contender Series guys, they're coming from small promotions. It's good to have them fight in some Apex fights the small arena with not so many fans before you bring them to the big stardom, sold out arenas and put them on the biggest stage of the world. Um, And Bellator had some of their best names. Yoel Romero probably sells the best ex-UFC fighter, although he's not the best fighter. He sells better than Vadim Nemkov. Not a lot of people know who that is, although he's probably the best Bellator fighter. Uh, Yeah, Sergio Pettis, uh, Pitbull Fighting and the PFL. Um, Not a lot of stacked names, but it was an opportunity for these promotions for a a diehard fan like myself to try to win me over. Like, oh man, this product's so great. And for me coming from a journalism background, what's great about the UFC isn't just the fight quality. Although the fighter quality is much higher in my opinion, we're talking like NFL, the XFL, the USFL shit in my opinion. Um, But the big thing is the television production, the play-by-play, the analysts, just the whole... Fucking production, the walkouts, the way everything is set up to make this an experience, make it a show. The UFC is so much arms and legs better. And I thought Bellator would show out with the names that they had. I would say UFC still had the best fights, the best quality product this weekend. Then I would go Bellator, then I'd go PFL. And it's funny that you know Bellator is for sale. There's a few different uh potential buyers in line, the PFL being one of them. But Dana White has talked about the PFL, not Profiting very much, so how they're going to buy a behemoth in Bellator, I'm not too sure. Uh, but I really do think the top level quality in Bellator is a lot better than the PFL. And a lot of the more relevant names in the PFL are ex UFC guys. Uh, they had a bunch of tr- issues with drug testing recently, a lot of guys popping. So there's just a lot of other intricacies when it comes from promotion to promotion. And that's just why I can't get fully bought in. You know, I'm doing my best because I have the podcast. I want to be able to relate on uh, it. There's probably fans that like the other promotions. I want, to, I, I want to get into it, but it's just not going to be the level that the UFC is. But I do tune in for the big cards. I did not watch Bellator Showtime on Friday night. Uh, we went and had dinner at a nice steakhouse and had some fun in, in Dallas. But I did find a stream uh, to watch the big time fights. You could watch the post limbs on uh, YouTube. And I'm an ESPN Plus subscriber, so I could watch PFL On Demand whenever I want. So let's start with the PFL. We had Auntie D'Elia with a unanimous decision over Maurice Green in the main event. And uh, I don't know, man. This was just a cringy fight. Um, Maurice, I don't think has looked great since he's left the UFC. You know, he's doing well in the points. If he would have got a win here, he would have clinched the playoff spot in the regular season PFL format. But the way John was coaching him in the corner... It was like false you know, hope, I feel like. After the first round, he was just getting completely dominated. I don't know. It was just a weird... It just felt weird. It wasn't a great quality fight. And for them to have that as a main event, I thought was a slap in the face. As the uh, two-division champion, Larissa Pacheco, who beat the very famous Kayla Harrison, had a first-round knockout over Amber LeBrock. I think that should have been the main event. And clearly, uh, she proved that she should have been as well. An, a great performance by her. She's usually a grappling-heavy, grinded-out type fighter. Gets a first-round knockout. Big, big uh, ups for her. We had Mathieu Scheffel with a round-one knockout over Renan Fajeda. Two big Brazilian guys going at it. Usually in the big divisions, you're going to get a knockout. Mathieu Scheffel got the job done. XUFC fighter Aspen Ladd got a round-two submission via armbar over Carolina Sobek. This was kind of a back-and-forth affair. As the fight went on, Aspen really was able to control the grappling, tire her opponent out. And this was big because if she could get a finish in the first two rounds, she clinched her spot in the playoff standings over some other fighter. She able to got the job done with just seconds left. She got that harm bar. You could see uh, the other lady watching was kind of devastated. Uh, That's what's kind of fun is just the format's different. I like the stats at the PFL. They show the strikes. It's more analytical. They have the AI cards versus the judges cards. They're trying to be creative to bring fight fans in, and I like a lot of that new stuff when it comes to technology. The ref cam, um, You know, their their booth has a lot of ex-MMA fighters. I just don't like the energy that they bring. They kind of talk monotone like meh, meh. And it just doesn't get me excited and fired up. The UFC has these great trailers. DC and Joe Rogan are fucking hyped. You could tell the passion behind it. And I feel like these ex-UFC guys in the PFL, they don't have the passion. They're using it as a job to make money and they're not as passionate about it. Uh, and they don't have the tonality for it. They're not trained broadcasters. Neither is DC. But you get trained with really good people when you have John Attic around and Joe Rogan around. They've been through it. They know how to do it as professionals. And that really carries over. And and, I mean, guys like Dominic Cruz, Paul Felder, they're, they're very high level, Michael Bisping. So, and you can see they're passionate about it. I mean, Bisping's an animal. He has his podcast. He does so many things. So I like some of the things the PFL is doing. It's just the product isn't there. And then we had Dennis Goldslav with a round one TKO over Jorgen DeCastro, making it look easy. Jorgen DeCastro's best days are definitely behind him. So John Jones, um, training crew, definitely struggling in the PFL there. We also had Julia Budd with the unanimous decision over Martina Jindrova. And this was an interesting fight. As Julia was really getting to take a tour the first round. Slower striker, getting outstruck. But she got a takedown in the second round, was able to grind uh, Jindrova out for rounds two and three. Um, you could say it was a, a pretty close decision. I, I like the, the decision to Julia Budd. I thought she deserved that. And she's been a, a very consistent fighter for the PFL. <laughs> The PFL has one more week. Last regular season card until August um, as they do their session. Let the fighters break until August, and then it's a playoff time. Um, prelims on ESPN Plus at 3. The main event on ESPN at 6 tomorrow on Friday. Uh, the, the main one, we have Oliver Oben mercier uh, ex-UFC fighter taking on Anthony Romero, who's 12-1 A really good young fighter who has fought in LFA. He was a Contender Series alum with the victory. Didn't get the contract. He also fought in King of the Cage. So he's young, good record. He's on his way. This will be a stiff test for him and a stiff test for OAM. We have Sadabu C taking on Shane Mitchell. High quality fight. Sadabu's looking good. You know, this guy desperate for a win. And a a, a high quality UFC, uh, ex-UFC fighter. I think the biggest name the PFL has signed Shane Burgos taking on Yamato Nishikawa. That's going to be a big-time fight. Let's see if Shane can pull through. We got Magomed, Magomed Karamov taking on David Zawada. Magomed Olotov, who looked good recently, taking on Naib Lopez. And then Clay Collard taking on potentially Stevie Ray in his last MMA fight before retirement. So some quality fights for the PFL this weekend. But let's talk about the other promotion that I thought you know, comes second in the rankings and has another good card coming up in the end of July. Bellator 297, the main event, actually was pretty quality. Um, you never know with Romero fights if it's going to be nothing or something. Well, Vadim Nemkov made it be something. He had the unanimous decision over Yoel Romero. But if you know Yoel, I mean, the guy's old, right? He looks like a fucking character that should be in Mortal Kombat. The guy is shredded. Uh, he's 46 years old, uh, uh, a young 46. His birthday was in April. And of a, a course, of a round, five round fight, he's conserving his energy. And once or twice around, he'll make big explosions where he'll, he'll travel six feet with some big combos. He knows if he could catch you, he's knocking the lights out. Well, he got, um, I think, two rounds, like round three and round five. He caught Vadim, uh, was able to even get on top of him with ground and pound. But it happened so late in the round, when he was on top getting some ground and pound, the bell would ring, you know, start of the next round. Uh, But it made the fight interesting. He was like, oh, shit, because if he beats Vadim Nemkov, I mean, that's just wild. I think Vadim Nemkov, I've talked about this multiple times. I don't think I've talked about it on and TKOs, though, is that uh, if I could pick one fighter from another promotion that could potentially win a title in the UFC, Vadim Nemkov is right there. And he showcased a lot of his ability in this fight, how to push the pace, the brilliant jabs and combos that he has. But anyone could get caught by EOL. Obviously, he, he got touched up a couple times, but was able to withstand them and really dominated the fight. But it made for a, a fun enough fight for the fans. You could hear the energy in the arena. And the best fight of the night, Sergio Pettis with the unanimous decision over Patricio Pitbull. And this is Pitbull cutting. I think this is the third weight class he's fought in in Bellator. Just didn't have the output that we're used to seeing with Pitbull. And I think that has to do with the weight cut. Sergio was able to make this his style of fight. He was able to pick him apart, although Patricio did have some moments over the course of five rounds. He just wasn't as explosive and powerful as we're used to seeing when he's in the bigger weight classes. And this reminded me a lot of like uh TJ Dillashaw trying to get to fly weight. Not quite as dramatic, but it just was, you know, was a shadow of himself. I mean, he looked like he was gonna die. That's the whole EPO thing, but Um, dude, Sergio Pettis is a dog. Um, he has some unorthodox style to him. Really good boxing. will bring the leg kicks in. And this was just a fun fight to watch back and forth for quite a bit of the fight. Uh, but clearly Sergio Pettis got the decision victory. And I thought the funniest thing was Sergio talking about online that, you know, he thinks very highly of Patricio. He's one of the best Bellator fighters of all time. And he did not think he would win that fight. But again, I think a lot of the weight cut things he did not consider And it's just funny how the mentality of a fighter sometimes can be like that, but you can still pull it through. Oh, We had Corey Anderson, uh, an ex-UFC affair here, with a split decision victory over Phil Davis. And this was really damn close. Um, I think Corey did do enough uh, to get the decision victory. He controlled the grappling a little bit more with Phil. Phil had some better striking moments, as you'd expect. But Corey Anderson's a dog. He's relentless. He reminds me a lot of Derek Brunson. And he he got the decision victory. And in the post limbs, we had Mike Hamill training here locally in Arizona, who's just been fed a bunch of killers, gets this really good Shamil Nikayev, and damn near gets finished in the first round. Battles out for a majority decision. I don't know how he was able to last after that, but round two, round three, had good moments up against the cage, uses grappling and war on Nikayev. And had a huge win. Really excited to see what Mike does in, the, in his future with Bellator. Got a couple local guys. Him and Bryce Meredith were all aboard their train. So let's keep on chugging. We had Timur Kazriev with the unanimous decision over Richie Smolin. And Cody Law with the unanimous decision over Edwin Chavez. So the top two fights did deliver. Really good grappling affair with the Corey Anderson fight. Those three I thought were way better than uh, the PFL performance. So that's why I go UFC, PFL, uh, or Bellator, then PFL. And we'll talk about UFC why I'm picking it to be higher with not a lot of star-studded names and more of a shallower card for UFC. Like this card this week in UFC would dominate, but it's funny that even on a, a light night, they still outperform. When it comes to the UFC, before we even talk about Fight Night Vegas 75, the problem for me, and you just, I don't watch Bellator and PFL enough to know this for sure, but in my viewing experience, you don't get the drama that you get in the UFC when it comes to judges, consistent judging issues, no contest, the clash of heads again. Um, we'll talk about late stoppages. There's always just some fucking drama and a lot of the judges are the same in different promotions, but I think it's just the speed, the IQs, the high quality fighting brings this in, in into us. But if they could get that fixed, that would just save them so much time, effort, energy. Us as fans, um, I doubt a fix is happening anytime soon, though. But for Fight Night Vegas seventy-five, we went six and two in the picks, so eighteen and eight so far with bows and TKOs. We out here putting up good percentages, and um, there was a lot of fights that we did not break down last week, uh, but I talked about, you know, matchup-wise could could turn out to be great fights. And a lot of it was the Dana White Contender Series alums who are new to the UFC. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, this fight right here, Carlos Hernandez with the unanimous decision over Dennis Bondar, one hell of a flyweight fight. Dennis thought of really highly, got hurt in his last fight, took some time off. And Carlos Hernandez hasn't had that hype, but is just approving so much year over year and is such a sound fighter. His boxing, his striking, the dog in him. High quality fight. I loved this fight. I thought this fight was just as good as quality as we saw in the other promotions. Just this one alone. Then we had Kung Ho Kong with a round one submission via rear naked choke over Christian Cienyones. And this is wild because this was a fire fight right off, right out the gates. Christian landed a couple of big shots. Raw Tong uh, got a little too over assertive. Kong caught him with a counter shot. Um, ended up getting his back rear naked choke. So quick turnaround, you know. The tables turned in that fight, but a, a great fight. Again, if you're an ESPN Plus subscriber, check these out. You'll see these guys that are going to grow up to be big-time fighters, um, You know, especially in the flyweight division, ranked fighters. You're, you're getting to see them early on. That's why I bring them up. I see them. I'm like, I want to follow this guy. This guy has potential. That's why I break these fights down. Um, we also had Alessandro Costa with a round two TKO over Jimmy Flick was landing some massive, massive calf kicks. Jimmy Flick, a veteran, had ups and downs, came out of retirement once he retired, really wanting to show out against a very, very tough young talent. And he was just brutally getting beat up. Um, He was falling down from the leg kicks. Then Costa was landing big shots. He's got massive power for a flyweight. This earned him performance of the night, 50 Gs. We'll be seeing Alessandro Costa a lot more. And, you know, we didn't break these fights. I'm not talking about their next opponents. But if you ask me, the easy fight is Carlos Hernandez, Alessandro Costa, two contender series flyweight alums, you know, that looked great this weekend. Put them in a card late summer, early fall. And then this man, Jesus, what an elbow this was. Manuel Torres with a round one elbow fucking forehead denting knockout over Nicolas Moda. Performance of the night 50 G's. Mechiko stand up. Another stud to watch out for. They were in the pocket firing early, and I thought it was a left counter hook that landed that knocked out Moda. Completely knocked him out. But it was a short elbow that literally dented his forehead in. Um, I think it was Paul Felder and crew were like, that might be one of the nastiest elbows I've ever seen land. And that is facts, dude. This was nasty. This goes up there top five elbows. I mean, we're bows at TKOs. Maybe we'll have a, uh, a little theme every year. What are the best bows? Because this one's up there. I would say it ranks top three with uh, Yair Rodriguez's elbow, up elbow finish against the Korean Zombie. That's got to be number one. But this is up there, man. And what a performance by Manuel Torres. He's going to be a problem. We also had Pat Sabatini with a round two submission via arm triangle choke. Great, great submission there. Um, Was in a firefight early, made it his fight, grinded down his opponent. Big win for him. He was in big need for a win. So those are all fights before we even broke down the card. So let's start in the prelims with Modestus Bukaskis with the unanimous decision over Zach Pauga. This fight pretty much played out the way I expected it. Pauga is going to come in. Not quite as uh, technical and clean of a striker as uh, Bukaskis and uh, would be aggressive early. But Bukaskis, over the course of three rounds, is going to land more strikes, uses kickboxing, his length advantage. And uh, it was one heck of a scrap. It was a great scrap to start early in the prelims. I think Modestus, definitely a little bit um, underrated right now. And I I think he showed what he can do. Although Zach did land technically more strikes, a lot of these were Kind of pity patty strikes up against the cage, things of that nature. When we look at the statistics, Zach landed 72 total strikes, 67 of those significant with a takedown. Uh one takedown in five attempts. So, you know, definitely not his strength by any means. Uh, compared to Modestus's 62 total strikes, 56 of those significant. So Modestus extends his winning streak to four. Overall, he's three and three in the UFC. You know, he was in and out of the UFC, so two stints. And Zach starts a new losing streak and moves to 1-2 and two in the UFC. I would love to see Modestus take on Nikolai Nigamaranu next. I think that would be a fantastic uh, matchup. And for Zach, he could fight Ihor Poteria. And that's going to be a, a must-win battle for both of those guys. And um, I obviously picked Modestus, so got that right. This one, I should have got another dub. Does, does it count on the record? But Dan Argetta, man, coming out aggressive, putting on a grappling submission clinic, but gets a no contest uh, against Ronnie Lawrence uh, because he was in a deep guillotine, had been battling different guillotine attempts, full guard, on back, side control guillotine, and uh, was was damn near about to get to put to sleep, had his hand up, getting ready to tap, and the judge wasn't sure if he was out, grabbed his hand, and he pulled it back, and he thought that was a tap. Real tough situation here, especially with both fighters getting no contest. Dan deserved that win. He doesn't get it. A guy that's uh, in not desperate need for a win, but young in his career really could use a win on a record. So, terrible tap call by the judge. You know, there's always some judging issues in the UFC, it seems to be. And uh, this started the card. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like trying to. Honestly, compare the UFC product on this card compared to Bellator PFL. This is one of the first tastes in my mouth. I'm like, oh, man, here we go. And not a lot from the uh, stat side. Dan landed 12 total and four significant strikes with the takedown and reversal. And Ronnie only had two total and one significant strike. So Dan doesn't get to extend his winning streak. Damn shame. Put all the work in. Cut the weight. Showed out. Doesn't get the dub. He, he stays at one and one in the UFC. And Ronnie stays at three and one in the UFC. that would have been a massive win for Dan. I really like Dan in the ultimate fighter. I thought uh, as young as he is, he showed a lot of potential, and he definitely showed out in this fight. So next, I would love to see him take a little bit of a step up. He could square up with Julio Arce, who's supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt. And then give me Ronnie and Miles Johns. That would be a, a good matchup here. And a lot of those other fights that we talked about in the Contender Series were in the prelims. So we're jumping right into the main card. What a fight this was. A fight I did get wrong. Not too mad about it. Nicholas Dalby with the unanimous decision over Muslim Salikov. And, uh, dude, Muslim striking is smooth. His head movement, you know, for an older guy who has had a ton of UFC fights, um, had fought, I believe, some kickboxing or some uh, a lot of sambo fights. And uh, he was taking it to Dolby round one, man. He's just so slick. His head movement, his timing. He had faster hands than Dolby. But Dolby's looking big, boy. He's getting thicker and thicker. And uh, round two, clearly his team was like, hey, we can't just stand here and go tit for tat with this guy. Put him up against the cage. Use your size to your advantage. Look to wear on this guy and make it ugly. And that's exactly what the next two rounds looked like. Uh, and Muslim was just getting worn out, man. I mean, Dolby's a little bit younger, older 30s, but a little bit younger, and had the better cardio tank, and just wore Salikov out. Salikov had some moments at the beginning of round three, round two, to try to you know make some stuff happen, but Dolby was was all over it. And uh, Dolby's on quite the winning streak, man. He's putting some stuff together. He's fought a lot of high quality opponents, but this has got to be—I mean, let's double check here. This might be the best win that he's had. Salikov's slick, man. People don't give this guy a lot of credit. He's a problem. If it's just a straight striking affair, um, he's going to be a tough. So, um, Dalby has wins over Warley, Alves, Claudio Silva on this winning streak. He beat D-Rod, Alex Oliveira. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, this is his best UFC victory. Well, he beat Eliza um, Zaleski. That's a pretty quality win. And obviously, uh, D-Rod. But, um, He's having kind of a late career resurgence. I was just very impressed. Statistically, he landed 104 total strikes, 86 of those significant, high volume, had two takedowns and five attempts. And Muslim landed 70 total strikes, 57 of those significant, with two takedowns himself. So again, Nicholas extends his winning streak to three. Muslim starts another losing streak and is one and two since the beginning of 2022. So Dalby's on quite a roll. I think a matchup with Gunnar Nelson, we talked about this on Matchmaker Monday, that would be a great fight with the winner getting the opportunity to fight in the top 15. And for Muslim, Elizal Zaleski, uh, we just talked about him, or D-Rod, some ex dolby opponents, those would be ideal opponents. High-quality fights, it would be great for the fight fans and the UFC. And another very, very high-quality fight, I mean, I, I was talking about this, having potential fight of the night potential Armin Petrosian with unanimous decision over Christian Leroy Duncan and quite different styles. These guys have, but styles that I feel like could go really far in this division. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Leroy. I picked against him in his UFC debut. He came from, I think cage warriors got an early knockout. I was massively impressed and Armin's been a dog. He beat uh, Robocop has literally been thrown into the deep end since he's been in the UFC But Armin is so technical. And what Christian Leroy Duncan does reminds me quite a lot of what Sean O'Malley does, but with a light heavyweight frame. And uh, he just does non-technical strikes, very loopy, coming at you from different angles, closes distance really well with very um, powerful strikes, a a lot of energy-stricken strikes, where Armin's just a technical kickboxer. He, he, he outclassed Christian with his boxing and pace. And because Christian has those big combos that cover so much ground, Armin was in the box, the phone booth the whole time, piecing him up and not letting him get going. It's hard to fire off strikes when you have a guy in your face for three rounds. And that's exactly what Armin Petrosian did. And what a fucking performance by him. I feel like he doesn't get enough clout. Both of these guys, put them on your radar um, they're still somewhat young in the division. I, I feel like both of these guys are major, major problems. And I, I apologize. I, I believe I said lightweight, right? Light heavyweight. These guys aren't light heavyweight. They are what? Middleweight. So excuse me. Um, and who was it that Leroy beat? I think it was uh, RoboCop. That I was like, oh, sheesh. Uh, Dusko Tavorovic, although it was a knee injury, he, he was all over him early, and he did come from cage warriors. So um, I was massively impressed with both of these guys, but Armin put up a, a, on a high-level high, high level pace, and he felt some of those shots early from Christian because Christian's definitely around one guy with his style. He's not trying to fight to round two and three. He had to dig deep in this in this fight, and I thought he would fade a lot more. He looked great in round twos and threes from a cardio standpoint with how much power he was putting in these shots and crazy spinning techniques and things like that. A lot of guys would, would be gassed out. Statistically, Armin landed 111 total strikes, 89 significant, and he had a takedown in two attempts. CLD landed 73 total strikes, 59 of those significant, and was 0 for 3 in takedown attempts. A lot of that was just to mix things up. I, you know, This guy is not a grappler by any means. It's going to be his biggest problem is fighting uh, in the middleweight division where there's some high-quality grapplers. So Armin extends his winning streak to two. He is a very impressive 4-1 in the UFC. Christian starts a new losing streak. He's 1-1 in the UFC since his cage warriors um, uh, days. So Armin, I think he matches up well against anyone in the division. Again, these guys are going to be problems. Watch out. Keep them on the radar. Um, a lot of the division's booked up right now, which also isn't good for him turning things around quickly. I don't know if that's really his goal. But I would love to see him take on Phil Haas or Edmund Shabazian. I doubt those guys want to fight Armin, so I doubt it happens. But those would be fantastic stylistic matchups and a great measuring stick for Petrosian. And the middleweight division, I mean, this, this one's deep with like hard hitters. You got these guys you know, around the 20th part in the rankings— and uh, you know, uh, a close loss by CLD that would put him up in position with someone like Punahili Soriano, who just pulled out due to injury, so it'd be some time, or Julian Marquez. And again, those guys are hard hitters. This division has some big boys with some hard hitters. Anyone could finish anyone on any given night, and that's what's tough about climbing the ranks in the middleweight division. But this was an amazing fight. I thought it deserved Performance of the Night or something. They didn't get it. Uh, but huge win for Petrosian as he keeps on trucking. And this fight actually ended up being a lot better than I expected. Arman uh, Sar, Sarukian with a round three TKO over Joaquin Silva. And I think Arman was like a minus 1,000 Vegas favorite. I thought he was going to take him down, get an easy ground and pound knockout or a knockout in round one or two. But Joaquin, this is a career-defining moment. A guy that really doesn't deserve to fight in the top 15, let alone the top 10, came out swinging with some big shots and, and landed and had Armin uh, rocked in the first round. And I was like, oh my goodness, could you imagine if Silva knocked out Armin? How wild would that be? But Armin just showed what else he has to his game. He gets caught. He, he, he gets the cobwebs cleared up. He, he stays composed. He, he finishes through the fight. Gets in round two, makes it his style of fight. Gets on top in round three, gets a beautiful TKO finish. That image of him on top was pretty badass. I think he was doing this or something, or I don't remember. Some symbol with his hands. Um, But Armin just shows how deep his skill set is. At such a young age, he's fought high-quality opponents. His UFC debut, he lost to Islam Makachev, but probably is one of Islam's more tougher fights besides Volkanovsky. And uh, statistically, he showed out. Armin landed 134 total and 80 significant strikes with four takedowns and five attempts compared to Joakim's 77 total and 23 significant strikes. So Armin extends his winning streak to two. He is seven and two in the UFC. I think he should be eight and one. And because of the fight against Gamera, I thought he won, but he's he's seven and two. He stays at number eight in the rankings. Doesn't deserve to move up when he fights a guy and, you know, that's like ranked 30th. Uh, Silva starts a new losing streak and moves to one and three since the beginning of 2019 tough stretch for him had his one shot almost got it but Armin's too tough so in the post-fight interview Armin called for Michael Chandler uh, Was kind of funny like obviously bro you're not fighting Connor he's not even getting in the testing pool uh, he's on my side we don't think Arm uh, McGregor's fighting anytime soon I don't think Chandler wants that fight so if you want a high-quality fight, let's let's take on Rafael Fazib. Could you imagine that battle, Fazib and Sukarian? That would be badass. And for Silva, if he still is with the UFC, a fight with Ricky Glenn would be the one to make. What sets us up for the main event, Jared the killer gorilla cannoneer with the unanimous decision over Mar- Marvin Vittori, deservedly so, fight of the night. Jared Cannoneer, the three-division monster, the the stacked motherfucker, now putting out volume and looking to get back up into a title shot, and he be a dog. Marvin Vittori's a dog. He's just getting 30 years old, entering his prime, and I thought he would be too much for Jared, and that was not the case. Although Marvin did start hot, put Jared in a bad spot, and much like Armin, Jared somehow was able to stay on his feet get through the round and then turn the turn the tables after round 1 um Jared Cannonier not only showed out he broke records which we'll break down in a second but man when you have Jared Cannonier putting out the volume that he did in this fight he could really beat anyone in this division and uh the way he showed out makes me wonder if he did move up to light heavyweight how much of a problem with that size and frame would he be? Um, I know he struggled in light heavyweight, but this was years ago. He's a lot better fighter, in my opinion, now. With the log jam at middleweight, does he think about going to light heavyweight at this point in his career, not having to cut as hard? Uh, I mean, there's got to be some situation there, because the way we look at it, we already have the number one contender fight, the Whitaker fight. The winner of that will fight Izzy. Izzy probably is going to win, you know. Maybe if Whitaker wins, he could fight, but he's already fought Whitaker. He's already fight fought Izzy. It could be a year and a half and maybe more for him to get a true title shot, and if he's just going to sit there, you know, that's not good for him. So it's just like, you know, if I'm Jared Cannoneer, I'm thinking about moving up to light heavyweight. You know, how many fights would you have to earn to get a title shot? That would come into consideration. Is there some good young fighters in light heavyweight that are cratching and clawing for, clawing for a title shot, including Alex Pijeda, who I will see fight in Salt Lake City against Jan, the Polish power, Blakovich. So uh, lots of drama when it comes for him, but you want to talk about putting your A-plus performance out there. The Killa Gorilla got the job done, and I was just so impressed, man. Not only, uh, you know, is he a, a sound fighter, but he put some power on those shots, and he was able to do that with volume through five rounds, which I did not think he could do. I saw him in person fight against Israel Adesanya where he didn't put that output in. He looked a lot t- more tired. So I'm assuming him and the MMA lab team just, you know, they he talked about wanting more p- output. Like, dude, you're going to have to get in some crazy shape. We're going to have to do X, Y, and Z to do so. And he did. Um, I think he could mix in some leg kicks a little bit more. And him and Marvin did trade some leg kicks for some moments. But he ha- just... Really outclass a very very good Marvin Vittori, and there's not many people in the planet that can do that, uh, including you know Izzy didn't make him look like that. I mean Marvin's taking some beatings. We know how durable both of these guys are, but I did not expect this kind of performance. And I'm a big killer gorilla fan. He's really been showing out. Um, he trained in um, Alaska doing uh, the. Uh, not the minor league promotion, whatever you want to call it, the promotion, moving up the Alaskan Fighting League. He trained to BJJ out there with a, a, a kid I used to wrestle with that was looking to be a pro fighter until he had a motorcycle accident. And I heard about him a long time ago when he was still fighting a heavyweight, I think. Now he's close. You know, Sean O'Malley, the Timbo Shooka Show had him on uh, a long time ago, and I've been watching him develop through his career, and I love to see this. It's hard to put your, your, your poker chips on a guy – that's been through so much has taken so many shots has come short this many times and is as old as Jared is But dude, he is the best version of himself that we're seeing right now And he's only getting better and he's got such a good mindset he, He's not a guy that's you know getting distracted. He has his family life He trains eats sleep on repeat and uh, i'm just really interested to see what's next I hope he just doesn't get screwed up by the log jam in the middleweight division now we break down the stats Marvin did well. He had 154 total strikes, 153 of those significant with a takedown. Jared landed 257 total strikes, 241 significant for the all-time record in the division, and he had four takedowns and six attempts. Talk about a good night in the office, golly! So Jared now extends his winning streak to two. He is three and one since the beginning of 2022. And Marvin starts a new losing streak is one and two since the beginning of 2022. We won't see him with a record like that very often. But when it comes to next, I mean, again, it's Whitaker versus du Plessis. You know, maybe he could get the loser of that fight, but does that really get him if Plessis loses? Does he beat Dricus? depending on how he shows out against Robert and get a title fight? I, I doubt that's the case. You know, he already lost to Robert. He beat Sean Strickland and Derek Brunson. And Paula Costa has a fight book. That's like the whole top 10. He seems adamant of not fighting unless it helps him get a title shot. I don't blame him, especially at his age. So I I assume he just, you know, goes back to work. Puts his working cap on. Puts the fucking blue jeans on and improves. Takes the time to improve. Uh, He's obviously been doing that. Let the division shake out a little bit. But I would consider a move to light heavyweight. I would love to see him do that. Um, I, I think there's just too much potential there with the, the speed that he's learned, the quality of, uh, of technical striking that he has. He's just so smooth with it. And for Marvin, um, I think he could fight DDP if he loses um, to Whitaker. If not, maybe Derek Brunson. Uh, that would be an ideal fight. They haven't fought yet, uh, coming off a loss, one and two in his last three. But this night is all about Jared Cannoneer. What a show. What a show. Talking about a show, we get a stacked little fight night Jacksonville card, getting the Florida people back in action. They love some fights. Um, early, early fights. We got prelims on ESPN at 830 Pacific and main card on ABC local television at 12 p.m. Pacific. And a fight we will not break down, Trevor Peak, the Contender Series alum, is fighting Victor Martinez. That's a high-quality fight worth turning into, and I'm sure we'll see something that we might talk about it next week. But well, we're going to start in the prelims, A short notice affair. We got Cody Brundage, the 29-year-old fighter with an 8-4 record, taking on Cedricus, the Reaper, Dumas, the 27-year-old fighter with a 7-1 record. Now, this is a short notice fill-in fight as Punahili Soriano had pulled out due to injury. So, in, and insert Cody Brundage. He's got a ton on the line. Uh, so does Cedricus who uh, is looking for some UFC uh, Ws. Cody trains out of Factory X. He's on a two-fight losing streak. He is two and three in the UFC. He is an LFA and Contender Series alum. Four of his eight wins are via knockout, three via submission, so seven of his eight wins are via finish. Very, very impressive. Cedricus is on a one-fight losing streak. He is a Contender Series and Icon FC alum. And he has a 7-inch reach advantage. Massive. Now, both fighters, they're in desperate need of a win uh, in the UFC here. A short-notice fill-in fight for Cody. I think that does put uh, some of the chips in Dumas' stack. I think Cody looks to grapple Dumas, though. That could lead him to victory. He's going to make this a fight that Dumas does not want to deal with. That's probably why he took the fight short notice. For that reason, I am taking Cody Brundage. I am putting him on that parlay. We are uh, marking them down, and we get in that bread. Moving on. We got Tatsuro Tyra, the 23-year-old undefeated fighter with a 13-0 record. And you heard that right, 23 years old, taking on Cledson K.R. Rodriguez, the 27-year-old fighter with an 8-2 record. What a fun matchup of two very promising young flyweight studs going at it unorthodox styles, this is not classic styles that you coach up in the gym, they are so much fun to watch as MMA fans, and uh, I can't wait to see where this fucker goes, Tatsuro, he's undefeated, 3-0 in the UFC at 23 years old, I mean, what was I doing at 23, I had just moved to Seattle, broke as shit, starting my career in sales, and uh, was working 6 days a week, 12 hour days, I was just trying to survive, We got this young stud, undefeated, 3-0 in the UFC. Seven of his 13 wins are via submission, and he does have a three-inch reach advantage. Now, Cletson trains out of Team Nogueira. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 in the UFC. He's a jungle fight alum, and four of his eight wins are via knockout, which half or more of your fights are via knockout in the flyweight division. That's very impressive. I really do think this is the toughest test to date for Ty, uh, Tatsuro. Either way, this fight is a win-win for fight fans on ESPN. So wake up, tune in. Um, Tatsuro is a more sound fighter, in my opinion, all around. Has more technicality. And plus, he's got the confidence. When you're undefeated at 23 years old, all that testosterone, you think you're unstoppable. And I'm sure his team just breeds that confidence out of him. Um, I do think he's going to eke out a win here. Keep his impressive resume going. I think we're going to see this everywhere. We're going to see wild strikes. Someone get rocked. We're going to see it on the ground. We're going to see some submission attempts. Oh, there's a reversal. Back up against the cage. Now we're striking. It's going to be box office. I'm taking Tatsuro. I'm confident enough to put the young blood on that parlay. We marking that down, and we getting that bread. And we're staying in the flyweight division. We got Zagas Zamugulov. The 34-year-old fighter with a 14 and 8 record taking on Joshua, the fearless Van, 21 years old with a 7 and 1 record. We're just talking about Tatsuro. We got a guy making his debut at 21, short notice though. And the reason being is poor Zalgos, man. No, no good luck. He's gone through so much. When I, you understand the fight game, how much comes to a fight. Your paycheck's on the line. So imagine come to work each day. If you don't show up or or your coworkers don't show up, you get half your pay, right? The pay's tough. Not only that, but you gotta be in pristine shape. You gotta cut weight. You gotta go through all that mentality. He was supposed to fight in May. His opponent pulled out due to injury. So they gave him a short notice matchup. The day of weigh-in, so he goes through all the work, gets to weigh in, probably a lot of stress with the new opponent. He had a new game, game plan, he pulls out day away and says the weight management issues, he can't fight. So now you're not getting paid. Hopefully the UFC did pay him. So he's like, hey, I want to keep fighting. I put all this work in. Gets a fight in June against Felipe Boons. He's out due to injury. Oh, man, all the shit Zalgas has to deal with. So then, very short notice, they give him a 21-year-old Joshua. His, his, his um, nickname's The Fearless. So he's coming in fearless with nothing to lose an opportunity to show out on ESPN at 21 years old. Here we go. So Zalgus is a Fight Night Global alum and former champion. He's on a tough three-fight losing streak, and he's 1-5 in five in the UFC, but has fought some of the best flyweight uh, competition. Seven of his 14 wins are via knockout. He throws some power and some big shots for a flyweight. Now Joshua is on a five-fight winning streak, He's a Fury FC alum, and five of his seven wins are via knockout. Got some power for the young blood. Again, so much on the line for Zalgas. He's just trying to fight. He's one in five. He needs a win to stay in the UFC. I'm glad the matchmakers have understood his bad fortune, has done whatever it takes to get him an opponent, a fight day, an opportunity. But the fearless, he looks like he's got a decent resume. I am taking Zalgus, but I will not put him on a parlay. And a really fun matchup. We get some good lady matchups, some badass women going and showing out this weekend. We got Tabitha Baby Shark Ricci, the 28-year-old fighter with an 8-1 record and the number 15 next to her name, taking on Jillian the Savage Robertson. 28 years old with a 12-7 record. Again, awesome matchup. Two promising young women fighters, very well-rounded, good grapplers, Jillian, I mean, her resume in the UFC, it's going to be hard to beat when it comes to experience. Uh, she's fought a lot, you know, through this point. She gets coached by Dean Thomas. She has it, you know, her record's uh, 12 and 7. She's had some ups and downs, but she's just now entering her prime. Showed out really well in her last fight. And both women are high, high level grapplers. I think, though, in the striking department, Tabitha is going to have the speed and striking advantage. And that's really going to pay dividends in this fight. Now, Jillian has a BJJ and kickboxing background. She trains out of the Goat Shed Academy. She has a black belt in BJJ. She has the most finishes in UFC women's flyweight division history with seven. The most submission wins in UFC women's history with seven. So not just flyweight, but all of women's MMA and the UFC, I should say. She is tied with Caitlin Chukagian for the most bouts in UFC women's flyweight division history at 13. She's only 28. She's an Ultimate Fighter alum. She's on a two-fight winning streak and is 2-1 since the beginning of 2022. And nine of her 12 wins are via submission. Now, Tabitha also has a black belt in BJJ, a black belt in judo. She's on a three-fight winning streak. She is 3-1 in the UFC. She is an LFA alum. And three of her eight wins are via submission. This is really, honestly, going to be a very, very close fight. It could go either way, especially if uh, you know one girl lands on top, gets some grounded pound, or someone just sneaks in a submission attempt. I believe that both of these wom- women have improved drastically and are close to reaching their full potential. But what I saw from the baby shark against Jessica Penne in March. I think it's going to be a little too much for Jillian. She's fought a little bit better competition in a three-round fight. I think it favors Tabitha versus a five. I'm taking Baby Shark, but I am not putting her on a parlay. Man, these next couple scraps, boy. These are bangers. This is what you asked for. This is a loaded fight night card. We got Randy Rude Boy Brown, the 32-year-old fighter with a 16-5 record. Taking on Wellington, the prodigy Terman, 26 years old with an 18 and 6 record. You want to talk about scraps? This is going to be a scrap. It's still crazy to think Wellington's only 26. All the shit he's done in the UFC. There's a ton on the line for this in this fight. As both men are, are looking to get the momentum rolling. They if they want to be where they want to, if they want to get to where they want to be in the welterweight division, especially Randy at 32. Wellington with the ups and downs, you have to win here. That's the thing. Like, Although these guys aren't in the top 15, you have a trajectory. You're climbing up the ladder, and one step could bring you down like five pegs on the ladder. right? Wellington, not quite as much on the line, but Randy loses here. Like, It's going to be really stiff climb up. At 32, you're going to have to be active, and maybe in your later 30s, but not a lot of guys have a lot left in their later 30s. Not everyone's Jared Cannoneer or Glover Teixeira, but... Randy has a brown belt in BJJ. He is a Ring of Combat alum and former champion with two successful title defenses. He's on a one-fight losing streak, but is 4-1 and since the beginning of 2021. So not super active, but rolling. Six of his 16 wins are via knockout, five via submission. So 11 of his 16 wins are via finish. And Randy's long, man. He's got a six-inch reach advantage and a a four-and-a-half-inch leg reach advantage. Now, Wellington has a BJJ background with a black belt. He trains at a Cheshire MMA with Glover and um, Alex. He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2021. So the same as Randy. hasn't been super active, but, you know, a little 500 action. Eight of his 18 wins are via submission. I think pretty highly of Wellington. He just has that dog in him. He trains in a small camp that's really going to push – push him uh, to the, his limits. And he's so young. You know, a lot of the men, I don't consider their prime till 30 years old because it takes so much to get to the UFC. So I feel like we're, the best days of Willington are far ahead. This is a tough test, but I think he's going to hang well enough in the striking battle here. Uh, and Glover and him are, and team are going to give him such a good game plan to set up the way Glover's won his fights. Get Randy down, put him against the cage, which is, you know, visibly been an issue for Randy. But can he keep him down, right? Attempt some ground and pound. Wear on him. Throw some submission attempts in there. I think he's going to grind Randy down through three rounds. I bet you Randy wins round one. Looks good. But as long as he can get the takedowns, I'm sure that will happen. I'm taking Wellington. But I am not putting him on a parlay. See, who's the, the favorite here? Wellington at plus 200. We ain't scared. We taking the dogs. They're coming to eat. Speaking of dogs, we got some dogs right here, man. We got Neil, the Haitian sensation, Magny, 35 years old with a 27 and 11 record and the number 11 next to his name, 38 pro fights. He's out there doing the thing, taking on Phil Fresh Prince Rowe, the 32 year old fighter with a 10 and three record. You want to talk about bangers? This is going to lead the way, man. I think this stylistic matchup is very similar to the fight we just broke down, except both of these men are in their primes. There's not as big of an age gap. Now, Neil has some accolades. He trains at an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's tied for the most wins in a calendar year with five. The most decision wins in UFC history with 13. The most wins in UFC welterweight history with 20. The most significant strikes landed in UFC welterweight history with 1296. The most decision bouts in welterweight history with 15. The longest fight time in UFC welterweight history with over 5 hours and 58 minutes. He'll be pushing 6 hours in there, which is just insane to think about. Think about just all the wear and tear your body would take a 6 hours of fighting. He has the second most bouts in UFC welterweight history with 29. He's on a one fight losing streak. He has three and three since the beginning of 2021. He's an ultimate fighter alum. He fights dogs. He ain't scared, Uh, but that's, you know, kind of what put him at a three and three record. Phillip is on a three fight winning streak. The big challenge we're going to see with him tomorrow is he struggled to make weight in three of his uh, fights and like three of his recent fights. Six of his 10 wins are via knockout, four are via submission So all 10 of his wins be a finish. I think Neil's going to do what he does to a lot of men. I think he's going to break Ro down over the course of three rounds, like we mentioned Terman doing in his fight. I think he's going to mix anything and everything. He's going to put a pace on Ro that he's not ready to go. He's going to put him in the deep end, as they say. I'm going to drag you down. Neil's definitely struggled against some of the best in the division, but he needs a win here to get back on track. He has a chance to do it. Great stylistic matchup for him. I'm taking Neil Magny. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And I believe he's the Vegas favorite. Yep, minus 160 right now. Moving on into the main card. What a prelim headliner that is. We get Brendan All-In Allen, the 27-year-old fighter with a 21-5 and record and the number 13 next to his name, taking on Bruno Blindado Silva, The 33-year-old with a 23-8 record. This is going to be a high-level fight to get the main card started on ABC. Welcome to local television. Now, Brandon is really, really well-rounded. He's good everywhere, man. He's on a roll. He's got his confidence back. He faces Bruno, who is in his prime and is a hard-hitting son of a gun. Uh, He could finish anyone on any given night, and I'm sure Brandon and that amazing Kill Cliff FC gym uh, is going to game plan for that. So Brandon does train out of Kill Cliff. He has a black belt in BJJ. Although he's only 27, he's a Legacy FC, LFA, and Contender Series alum. He's on a four-fight winning streak and a six-and-one since the beginning of 2021. Talk about being active. He has uh, his last two fights have been performance of the night. So not only has he been active, but he's been showing out and getting them paydays. And 12 of his 21 wins are via submission. Now, Bruno has a black belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum, an M1 alum, and former champion of M1. Three of his last five fights have been performance of the night, so this guy shows out. That's how you know this is going to be a great way to start the main card. He's on a one fight winning streak and is 4 2 since the beginning of 2021. 20 of his 23 wins are via knockout. He possesses the power. And six of his eight losses are via submission, which is a strength of Brendan. So again, there's a lot of weird stylistic matchups, but as you know, with strikers, it takes one shot. That's what makes it fun. So as long as this fight is standing and they're trading, it's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. I think Brendan's going to try to show off his striking a little bit. But he knows he cannot be overzealous and put himself in range. I think he's going to get his grappling going early and often. At least slow Bruno down. Maybe look for some leg kicks. If he can slow down the power of Silva, he can have the fight go wherever he wants. And and Bruno struggled with those calf kicks. I'm sure he's practicing that defense. He struggles. Once he gets down, he's a big body guy. He's a, a, a very muscular guy, which can gas you out in the grappling um, but I'm really interested to see the game plan, how it unfolds, what a main event we go, event we have. I'm taking all-in Allen. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. I think Allen is the minus yep minus 175 favorite. And it's kind of interesting that these next two fights are as far as they are on the main card but because it's going to be what people on local television that aren't MMA fans want to see, some fucking striking and some KOs. We got David, the silent assassin Onama, 29 years old with a 10-2 record, taking on Gabriel Mosquitino Santos, 26 years old with a 10-1 record. This is going to be a firefight. There's a reason it's on the main card. Two young fighters looking to make a name for themselves. David trains out of Factory X, He's on a one-fight losing streak. He is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. Six of his 10 wins are via knockout, four via submission, so 10 of his 10 wins via finish. And he even has a four-inch reach advantage. Now, Gabriel is on a one-fight losing streak, which was in his UFC debut. He is an LFA alum, and four of his 10 wins are via submission. The one thing here is Onama. We've seen him in deep waters against high-quality opponents. He just did that with Nate, the train land wear. That was a scrap, man. I think this is really going to benefit him, though. He's been out for 10 months, improving his craft. He needs to get that jab going, use his length, keep Gabriel at range. Gabriel showed he has some power himself. Set up some combinations. For that purpose, I'm taking Onama, but I am not putting him on a parlay. Moving on, we got the ex-football rugby player matchup. Austin Lane, the 35-year-old uh, fighter with a 12-3 record, taking on Justin Badman Taffa, 29 years old with a 6-3 record. And uh, I think the matchmaker set this fight up for the showing-out party for Austin Lane, the former NFL defensive end who can scrap with a powerful striker and Justin Taffa. Austin was a DM drafted in the fifth round by the Jaguars, He did have short stints with the Chiefs, Lions, and Bears before retirement and entering MMA. He is a Dana White Contender Series alum. He fought in there twice. In his first attempt in 2018, he lost to other former NFL defensive end, Greg Hardy, who was a problem for a minute. His chin went, and that's what it was. He is an Island Fights LFA and Fury FC alum. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout. Three of his three losses are via knockout to knock out or be knocked out. He does have a six-inch reach advantage and a four-inch leg reach advantage. He has all the prototypical size, power, and speed. Can he put it together? Justin has a blue belt in BJJ. He is a former rugby player from the Melbourne Storm. He's on a two-fight winning streak and his three and three in the UFC, and six of his six wins have been via knockout. If this goes all three, my mind will be blown. Now, if Taffa can comfortably get in range, get Lane up against the cage, make this a, a dirty boxing affair, he's going to have a really good chance. He has more experience. I just don't think this is going to be the option for him. I think Lane's going to be attacking with his reach advantage, keep him at distance, big power shots, powerful combos. This could be a, a, a quick early knockout either way. I'm taking the former NFL player. I'm taking Austin Lane, but I am avoiding him on the parlay. And Austin Lane is a plus 150 dog, so we're putting some sprinkles on those dogs. Maybe a little underdog parlay action this weekend. And then this fight, man, this is going to be a fun fight in the women's division. We got Amanda Ribas, the 29-year-old fighter with a 12-3 and record and the number name number nine next to her name, taking on Macy, the future barber. Only 25 years old with a 12-2 and two record and the number 11 next to her name. This fight, man, I mean, these two women have torn through their competition in the UFC. Amanda has quite a bit more uh, experience and has fought stiffer competition. Macy is still so young, but is a problem for any woman in the division because she is so well-rounded. Now, Amanda trains out of ATT. She has a black belt in BJJ and a black belt in judo. She's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-2 since the beginning of 2021. She is a jungle fight alum. Four of her 12 wins are via submission, and two of her three losses are via knockout. Macy has a karate background. She's got a second-degree black belt. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She trains at a team alpha male. She is an LFA and Contender Series alum. She is on a four-fight winning streak, and five of her 12 wins are via knockout. I think this is going to be a back-and-forth, very close striking affair. If that's the case, I expect Reboss to have the speed advantage. She is so quick with her hands, and violent, has crazy combinations. But I think Macy will have the power advantage. Reboss moves around so much. Her head move, it's great. Her feet uh, are always moving. She's always on her bike. I think it's going to be uh, tricky for Macy to do what she wants to do and probably get the takedown. I think that's going to be part of her game plan, but Reboss is very slick with it. It's going to be tricky to see if she can actually get that done. With the volume Amanda brings, I think she edges out a very close decision victory here. I do think it's going to be super close. If Macy can get a couple takedowns, I could see the tides turning. I'm going to take Reboss, but I am not putting her on a parlay. And then the main event. Oh, boy. Now, this isn't his formal nickname. I'm going to post this as a reel. Hopefully, we can get this going. This should be his nickname. We got Josh Mr. Clean Emmett, the 38-year-old fighter with an 18-3 record and the number five next to his name, taking on Ilya El Matador Topiria, the 26-year-old fighter undefeated with a 13-0 record and the number 9 next to his name. What a scrap this is going to be. This is a fire fight. This is like some gladiator shit that you would see back in the day. These guys are going out on their sword. And the reason Josh Emmett's Mr. Clean is he looks like a big, fucking, bald, shredded Mr. Clean from the 90s, man. Uh, me and my buddy were watching his fight against Shane Burgos, which was one hell of a fight, fight of the night, fight of the year candidate, where he shredded up his knee and still continued to fight, and uh, at that moment, my buddy was like, "I, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm a fucking fan, this is one badass Mr. Clean, and I was like, we gotta make that happen, so Mr. Clean, Josh Emmett. For a fight night, this is as good of a main event as you can ask for. You get guys that are just gamers, man. Emmett's always game. He'll fight anyone, anywhere. He's coming off a title shot loss in a war against a very unorthodox Yair Rodriguez. Now, Ilya, although he's undefeated, is still young, not in his prime, and he is taking a massive step up in competition as he has literally just cruised through the five UFC opponents he's had thus far and has showed how well-rounded he is. I mean, this guy is brilliant everywhere. Now, Josh trains at a team alpha male. He has a purple belt in BJJ. He has an NAI wrestling background at a Menlo College. Three of his last five fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. Six of his 18 wins are via knockout. He is on a one-fight losing streak, but was on a five-fight winning streak before that. Meanwhile, Ilya is an orthodox fighter. He has a black belt in BJJ. His last two fights have been performance of the night. So both of these guys getting that bag, they showing out. He is undefeated and is five and zero in the UFC, and eight of his thirteen wins are via submission. Now the Vegas odds on this thing, there's money to be made. Let's just say that Ilya is minus four hundred. Josh is plus three hundred. I think this fight is a lot closer than the odds suggest. Vegas tends to favor the undefeated guys moving up the charts quickly. I don't know if they, you know, like the older fighters. It's probably the safer bet, but there's definitely an opportunity here. Emmett's been in some fucking wars. The best fighters in the division for quite some time. He outstruck Calvin Qatar or Calvin Cater in a split decision victory. Very, very impressive. He has traded with Dan Ige, 50K fucking Ige, man. Shane Burgos, Yair Rodriguez, he's been there, he's done that. He doesn't have anything to prove. Ilya may have the faster hands here, which is usually a big advantage. He possesses a lot of power, but so does Josh Emmett. Josh is going to be able to wrestle Ilya. I think he has the better traditional wrestling, like folk style wrestling. But he is a black belt. He's got smooth in transitions. So I don't know if he looks to do that. You don't really want to fuck with Ilya when, when you got him down. It might be just to change things up, you know, find a way to close range. Use it as a tool. I'm a little worried about Josh and the damage that he's taken with all these wars. The knee thing, you know, he looks to be recovered. He's, he's as tough as they come. At age 38, there's a lot of the concerns I had of Jared Cannonier last week, and he completely shut down shop. So I'm changing it up a little bit. This is Josh's last chance to stay in the top of the division. He worked so long to get there. He doesn't wanna lose that opportunity. I don't know if anyone wants it more than him. And sometimes these young guys can, you know, that their mindset's just a little a little too over, overconfident. You lose this fight if you're Mr. Clean, it's a massive uphill battle in this very, very good division. I think this is going to be a little bit of a learning lesson and humbling moment for Aaliyah. Uh, he has not gone very deep in his fights. He just went into the third round once in 2020. Josh has fought now in back-to-back five-rounders, although he didn't make it through the five rounds, but is durable. He's willing to trade shots. I like him in the long game. The longer this fight goes, the more I like Josh. For that reason, I'm taking Mr. Clean. We marking him down. We're not putting him on a parlay, but we putting him on the underdog parlay because there's money to be made. The dogs are coming to eat. Ho but what a card. Can't wait. Wake up Saturday morning. Get your cuff we fui. Tune in. ESPN local television on ABC. Mm-hmm. Now, next week we get another solid Apex card. For an Apex card, I'm not mad about it. A 4 p.m. main card start on ESPN. Summertime, the the UFC's dominating ESPN. We get this one headlined by Sean Strickland and Abus Magomedov, a big testing uh, stick for Magomedov, and Sean Strickland looking to get back on track. That's episode three. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.